0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Level Up Cleveland. And this week we have a legend in the house. We do. <laughs> okay. We have Mr. Alan Green with us. We're very happy to have him in here with us. It's another another one of those moments where we have somebody in here that we're like just a little more excited about because you know yeah. you represent the city's, Like this is the this is the thing I really love, is that you know, I, I think people honestly just don't realize some of the people we actually have in our city and uh, the, the level of talent that we actually have in our city, some of the accomplishments that some of the people from Cleveland have done. And I just went and saw you you uh, last week play and every accolade you've ever been given and everything that's ever been said about you is true and, and worthy. You are phenomenal. Your band is phenomenal. I mean, it's it, you're, you're, you're an extremely entertaining band to watch. Well, thank for you various me. reasons, and we're going to get into all those things I was just uh, stating. But most most cool is recently you just got inducted into the Cleveland Blues Society Hall of Fame. Yes, sir. And I think that's pretty much got to be the, the 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 pinnacle of as
1: far as the accolade type thing goes. It's what, very nice and very flattering, you know. Yeah. Anything you get like that, I think. I think I was talking to you earlier. I know I was talking to you earlier, but. Um, if you kind of stick it out your whole life and you're playing with a dedication and, you know, people, you get older and you keep in on doing it, people say, oh, we better give him some kind of a thumbs up here because he's not going to be around uh, uh, that much.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is. I just know that, well, you've you've done well to, you know, get this uh, this ability that you have out there throughout your whole life. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff with a lot of different bands. I mean, I've been lucky. Well, you know, maybe some luck, but a lot of it's the the ability part. And I do want to get into that. Like, I do, like I, I like to talk to the guys and find out what separates you guys. Like, how, how is it that, you know, what, what makes you, what's the drive in you? Because everybody knows guitar does, not you don't become great at guitar unless you work at it. And and that's the only way. And so the difference between guitar players is obviously work ethic, really. I mean, like, you know, right. one the reason one guy could be this good. And what drives you to get to that point? And we'll get to that. I just, but um, first of all, Thanks for coming.
1: Thanks for uh, inviting me.
0: Yeah, man, this is really exciting. Um,
1: Where where did you, uh, where were you from originally? Where did you... I grew up in Shaker Heights, kind of down on the lower, older end, not in some vast mansion, you know, but I went to school with a lot of, uh, you know, well-off kids. Their parents were well-off and kind of got acclimated to a certain mindset. It was, you know, uh, met some cool people and uh, just went from there i don't know
0: and when do you pick up a guitar uh
1: when i was 17 years old i picked up a guitar now um when i was 17 or 16 was coincided with when the beatles the beatles because i'm older and i okay that age group uh and like so many of my friends and uh later on my peers whatever uh i want to do that that's what i want (laughs) <laughs> how would I be a Beatle?
0: yeah well, that's what the, it's funny you always hear that story I heard I've heard it a well, bazillion times
1: anybody anywhere near my age bracket I bet 90% of the people were the same way a lot of my best friends in the business musician friends uh, personal friends um, started for the same reason yeah. it was such a, a earthquake a seismic change you know culturally and of course we were young you're, you're still in school so you're very impressionable Um. And you just, uh, I, I had grown up during my school era, uh, playing trumpet, taking trumpet lessons and okay. playing in all the school bands and orchestras. And
0: so you I did just, have musical training and you were, well, yeah, I,
1: I had a, you know, in fourth grade, if I remember, I'm going back to the early 1700s, um, <laughs> they, uh, give you us they gave us at least, I don't think they still do this anymore, but how would I know they gave us, a musical aptitude test in fourth grade. I think we're 10 years old. And then uh, if you scored well, which I, I did, and they encourage you and your parents to uh, uh, get an instrument. rent an instrument. and uh, oh. So I ended up uh, choosing trumpet because I thought the buttons were cool. You know, I was a kid. And buttons are really cool when you're... <laughs> sure. So uh, le- later I learned they were called valves and not buttons. But anyway... Um, I, like button. So, uh, you know, every Friday I would walk home and take a lesson from a guy in the Cleveland Orchestra, actually a trombonist in the Cleveland Orchestra, and uh, taught trumpet and whatnot. And I just was really into it at the time, and that uh, kind of morphed into the high school and the Beatles invasion and the whole British invasion. and uh, Guitar, you know, guitar bands were the, uh, it was a new thing. If you weren't there, you can't really appreciate what an incredible, you know, shift shift in the world because not only musically but i mean every it, it almost like in terms of the culture fashion hair. i mean um um Everything was kind of changing then, and they kind of fed that, you know, this whole mod thing and, the, you know, England and the Carnaby Street and the fashions and everybody, all these business people were growing their hair longer, you know, over the ears and trying to be cool and combing it down instead of back, you know? Yeah,
0: right, everyone was just a little different, doing the opposite.
1: So it was was a pretty exciting time, but it was the only time we knew we were just kids, like I said, or high schoolers by then, Uh, by then. And uh, it's just, oh, I want to do that. And so I just switched over to, to guitar and like everybody else wanted to do and p- pick a cheap guitar. And my buddy who was also in the band with me, he picked up a guitar and we used to sit around and he would play, he had an inclination to play like little rhythm, try to cop rhythm parts. You know, we were kind of elementary in our attempts, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this inclination to pick out melody lines and lead leads, you know. We didn't even know what leads were at the time. Well, we did because, you know, George Harrison was a lead guitar player. Right, right, right. You know, back then there was rhythm guitar player and lead guitar And you player. like,
0: Chuck Berry was around, too, stuff like that. So oh, you, sure. Yeah, right. You, you knew a lead guitar was from that, but it was well, different. Well, yeah, but they
1: didn't even call, you didn't even hear the term lead guitar. Yeah, right, it didn't have really a Really, until the British invasion of the Beatles. You know, George really? was a lead guitarist. You didn't know what a lead guitar was. Chuck, they Barry started- by that, Chuck Berry, blah, 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 and all them guys. Yeah, guitar they, player. They played you know, guitar player, so... I get but you. But there was defined roles back then. I get you. Know. Know.
0: They were starting to like put labels on what kind of a guitar well, yeah. player. Was
1: he lead? Was he rhythm? Yeah.
0: And, and rock and roll was kind of creating this kind of thing, oh, wasn't it? Right? Well, that, that's well, what it
1: was, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
0: Now, now, did you ever, like before the Beatles thing, did you ever, like we were just talking about Chuck Berry and them, did you have an inclination that you were interested in a guitar? Or was it ever something that you always kind of like, you know, thought back and forth, and then and then the Beatles was like, "That's it, I'm doing it." Or did it just that everything came out at that point, like basically
1: everything guitar related came out at that point. So,
0: so Harrison did? did would, was he like? Yeah, he was
1: my first first uh, the one the yeah hero, I suppose. Yeah, I love the Beatles uh, to this day. Sure, you know what I mean.
0: So then, at some point though, it went from rock and you started getting more into the blues type thing, which rock and blues really go hand in hand. But absolutely, but you also took it to where you you're heavy on more on the blues and it's more of a rock that you put in because what you're playing on guitar, especially your your some of your leads, is just incredible type blues stuff. That's like and you're pulling the tricks out. You're doing all the little stuff that just it was just very entertaining to watch and, and listen to. Man, you're Those flattering.
1: Great, it's, you're great. <laughs> I Make mean, me feel I, like I, it's a good thing I got. I up was
0: today. so glad I went. That's all, that's all I can tell you. I was like, wow, man, this guy's is it's just mind bending um and and so at some point you you went that way so you know it went from harrison what happened how does that how does that how do you feel like your influences took you into that
1: direction more um okay well after you know post early Beatles i mean you know and the rest of the british invasion then you moved up into 67 1968 and you had your air claptons and cream and and you had your uh, Led Zeppelin starting to happen and Jeff Beck and the Yardbirds happening. And you had uh, Hendrix, you know, the fearsome foursome, you know. Right. Page, Hendrix, uh, Beck, and uh, Clapton, you know. I like that. They were the four and have always really been that everybody else kind of sort of molded uh, themselves. Everything
0: kind of went from that.
1: Well, yeah, because uh, they, were, they were just taking it to a different level because it, – it, Previous to that, the, the guitar was, um, you know, I listened to 60s, early 60s stuff, and it was kind of clean and yeah. horny and stuff. Uh, compared Tame to, compared Compared to one of the British guys, uh, not kind of Hendrix, was American, but but he, he was, he, he kind of, he, he hung out with them dudes. Uh, he became famous <laughs> by going to England. And um, yeah. uh, that just kind of took it to a different, whole different dimension. You know, I can remember. In fact, I can remember exactly where I was. You know how you there's these historic events in your life, and you know where you were. One hundred percent. Well, musically, I could tell you exactly where I was the first time I heard the first Zeppelin album, the first time I heard the first Santana album, the first time I heard uh, I saw the Beatles, of course. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> it just uh, it just became a cool thing, and then. <clears throat> I learned later on that they were trying to emulate their heroes, the American blues guys. The Delta guys. They, from but the... I didn't know anything about it back then. I thought they were just the first guys to ever do those kind of I things. I think everybody were... did, really, really. Yeah, That's... they were just taking what was done by the early blues guys and reinterpreting it with their martial amps and stuff. And yeah. They rock and roll. And, and it was really, uh, really powerful. You know, I can remember I started saying, Driving, I could. I was driving on the Shoreway to a gig with this early band that I was in, and "Sunshine of Your Love" came on the radio. I'd never heard it before; it was a new thing. And uh, our drummer, who, by the way, at that point was Dan Clawan, who wrote "It's Cold Outside" the choir. You know, Dan. Oh yeah yeah, famous, yeah, 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 yeah. Guy, I did a short, uh, short gig that he was in. And actually Wally Bryson was in it too, which is, it's really under the radar. Nobody knew. We were just, you know, we, I'm not worthy. You know, those guys were <laughs> heroes of mine because of the mods and the, the back in the, uh, a, a band called the mods and the east side of Cleveland was, uh, kind of the, the coolest band really at the time. The, yeah, they were, they were really happening. So anyway, um, we were driving to this gig downtown and around the shoreway and he said, Oh, listen to this. Listen, check this out. Come on, okay. Sunshine, of your love, and I never heard anything like that before. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I can I can specifically remember first. The it firsts. made it made a, kind of an impression because it didn't sound like anything else, you know.
0: At that time, yeah. And, we're, we're nowadays everybody's so used to like sunshine. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's you, like oh, it's a oh, riff yeah. again. But no, you but
1: can't you can't do anything today, and people are not like, well, blasé. You know, it, but it was new then. You, you see, it's it's hard to emphasize, overemphasize how new things were i mean you can't if you're a certain age you if you're not a certain age yet you can't you can't even imagine that the the, well, the impact it was it was it was, was yeah it
0: was, <laughs> yeah, was different it was because there. you know like rock has changed throughout the years but it's still been rock and it still basically had the same kind of elements all the elements changed like like drums changed the, the whole formula changed. I mean, now you had the bass, the guitar, the drums. Mm-hmm. You had the power trio with the front guy or whatever, right, right. and that became a staple. And and that wasn't what that didn't happen before. Right. Now this is the way it is. Yeah. And and
1: yeah, when, when something is new, yeah, it's just for the tr- first time. You know, in anything in life, it makes a big much. It makes an impact. You yeah. know, I mean, if you eat steak the first time in your life, you've never had it. You've been on a desert island all of your life, <laughs> you're yeah. stranded and you've been eating seaweed and stuff. And then somebody gives you a, a, a filet or something. Yeah. You know. You're losing your uh, mind. Uh, but then you eat a filet or something every <laughs> day for the next 10 years. <laughs> then that's becomes... not going to be so special much anymore. You want it. So that's kind of like, uh, kind of how music can be. Yeah. But right. That first time when things are new like that. Yeah. Right. There's and nothing it, like it. Well, and it was exciting. And, and... It, keep in mind too, I was of the age where it was, uh, uh impressionable um they were formative musical years sure okay so my formative musical years just happened to coincide with, with that. the greatest time in rock music i see what you're saying for sure and, and um i was lucky that way it's
0: a chance thing you know like well, yeah, yeah, yeah well. right you know like you were just having to be born at the right time where you're you were still young enough to pick up a guitar and be really good at it and and you were still all that was happening, it all happened at the same time. Plus, let's be honest, I mean, like, you you're, said so you're, what, you're 17 when you pick up the guitar, and all that stars, ha, stuff happens. And this new rock and roll, it's, it's loaded with energy, it's loaded with, with power, and, and mm-hmm. no, 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 there was just never happened right. before. And there so, was an
1: underground scene, you know, that whole sure. thing. People don't, what does that mean? But there was this really cool underground scene. Now, and in Cleveland, all, was All that stuff was considered underground.
0: Now what was like? Like now, what's going on in Cleveland during all this? Now, Does this, like like so. You pick up the guitar. You're 17 years old. What's some? Was was there any local bands or anyone that you at that point yet that you were like kind of like
1: paying attention to? You said what was, I mentioned. Dan Luan being in the Mods, the Mods, who later became the Choir. Okay, I, that's right. I'll say now that's you knew them by that yes. name, the yes. Choir. Yes, but they originally were were called the Mods. Yes, and um, they were at that point in time. It, it bands weren't so you know. Prevalent and saturated everywhere. Now, I mean, there's a band or jam. Anywhere you go, any moment, you, oh, there's a band.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: you're right. But then, again, going back to the uh, new is exciting thing. It was all young and new, you know, at, at that point. And going to see the choir or the mods at the Chagrin Armory in Chagrin Falls. There's a big old, uh, they, they had uh, a couple of some concerts. And it was a big like a venue? It was a gigantic building with a concrete floor. and Gymnasium uh, almost was, like? It, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was, uh, anyway, so. <laughs> <I got> you <laughs> So the, they were the biggest band. The, they were the band on the east side. On the west side of Cleveland, a band called the Tree Stumps, I'd say. The Tree Stumps, which contained Michael Stanley, by the way, before he was uh, oh. uh, solo and became successful. And um, there were literally those two bands seemed to dominate the east and the west side. There wasn't like a million different bands, and you didn't know who was who. who you didn't care who was who, right. where from, where or another. But then again, not to uh, belabor the the point, but um, it was more defined. It was more a rarity about it. You know, right, you're right. still growing up. It was a new thing, and you were growing with it and influenced by it. So I would have to say uh, the choir. On the east side, the the, uh, the tree stumps on the on the west side, and then everybody else, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And then but later um, on, you had like bands like the Raspberries that came in. I was in the gonna say, well, before
1: they were the Raspberries, they were called. Well, no, it was a different band lineup. But Eric Carmen's with the uh, Cyrus Erie was the name of the band. And then there was a club that Donald Danny managed uh, them, and had a club called the Cyrus Erie West. And they had these teen clubs, these big clubs big stages and ben- big venues, and um, and uh, that was kind of cool. The Hullabaloo Clubs. Oh, yeah. There was a Hullabaloo in Chesterland. There was one in Mentor. There was, and th- they had some big acts playing there besides local acts, like the one in Mentor. Uh, Jeff Beck played there. Oh, really? Um, um, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, right. And we are just, you know, there you go. You don't need a, you don't have to be old enough or have an age requirement because of alcohol because they didn't serve alcohol They're like teen clubs which is bizarre
0: now you're you school you're, so you're learning how to play guitar at 17 and you're and you're basically learning how are you taking lessons are you are you uh just playing just playing tunes and learning just copying people and that kind of thing learning that kind of thing at first
1: yeah i never i took even though i took my trumpet lessons all those years uh i never took a guitar lesson i just uh, was self taught and uh, probably ended up doing things wrong to this day because uh, our teacher would have said, no, don't do it like that. You're doing it wrong. Right. But that's, you know, you t- whatever is right to you.
0: Now, you said you, said you took trumpet lessons from a, a trombone player that was in the Cleveland Orchestra. Orchestra. So here's my question. You're, you're taking lessons not just from any ordinary guy. This is a guy who's in the Cleveland Orchestra. This is an accomplished musician. Would I be correct to say? Sure aside from Trumpet, did anything rub off on you from the fact that his he's he's this guy those those a guy like that's not like everybody else they, no. they they carry a certain amount of professionalism so it wasn't like that at the time
1: no i i didn't even he was just a nice guy who lived on you. my way home and somebody <laughs> I got you. i got you. somebody uh, he taught out of his home um he had a little uh studio and yeah. uh, he was a real sweet gentle guy never thought twice about it you know he I got you. I got you. I'm just curious because I don't, I don't think I'm, he was like a star performer. I think he was just an ensemble guy. I got you.
0: I know. I'm just talking about like the professionalism when you, when you, when you're around certain musicians, sometimes certain things rub off on you that are intangible and they're not necessarily pertaining to directly to the instrument you're playing, but it, it'll create a, a work ethic in you or
1: it'll create well, something along those lines. Well, see, that's an interesting point in itself. Um, that didn't apply necessarily with him. I just, I nothing but respect and, you know, right. wonderful guy and, and that. But, like, later on, um, I found out that, and I didn't know it for years and years later, but looking back, the, having a work ethic as a musician and having a pride about doing what you're doing and wanting to be really good and having, a, like, the aptitude... The ability, you know, talent, whatever you want to call it, um, to to make you stand out because you're good, as opposed to blend in with everything else. I was never content with that blend in thing. I mean, I don't mean standing out on stage and like showing off. I mean, uh, in musical terms, just being part of something, being an ensemble, but being like really good at what you did. I always had a real strong uh, sense of, of, you know, being as being the best that i could be and not wanting to feel embarrassed you know what i mean uh, being proud so so like if i had a bad night and i was playing somewhere uh, i would bum out for <laughs> i just, I'd get bummed out for a week and a half two yeah. weeks you know oh god and then li- little by little by little i learned that you outgrow that and you just let it go tomorrow's another gig yeah. you know it's no big deal and uh, cuz it's inevitable i don't care who you are Gonna, it's going to be ups and downs, good, sure, bad, sure. slumps, peaks, all that stuff. Sure. Um, but you, it, it, being, you know, having always been prodded by my bandmates, early bandmates and things, and friends, like, "Oh, you're you're really, you know, you're really good. Yeah, you're the you're the best guy in a band, or whatever." We're just like nobodies, okay? Yeah. But. We were we tried our best, but I always got a lot of praise from my friends and encouragement, and that just kept feeding me to believe in my own desires to be good. Yeah, right, 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 or the best I could. Yeah, you could follow. I wanted to be able to be as you know. Oh, I'm never going to be like that. Or I heard. uh, Or uh, or I heard. uh, like we were talking about earlier, the cream or something, you know. Yeah. Oh, sunshine in your like Lo- I'm never going to sound like that. What's the use? So I'm going to just put on my guitar and never play again. But that took care. To, uh, it, that sounds pretentious. That um, kind of resolves itself after a while because you um, you find yourself in better company as you as you keep playing. If you're playing, if your standards are fairly high. And you're doing it like it. Your life is that's your life. You're not just kind of doing it just as a hobby. Yeah, you're doing it as through the motions. Yeah. that important to you? Um, you find yourself like when the, that band breaks up. Somebody else. Oh, you, let's do this. And you find yourself with somebody else who's got that same desire, and that feeds itself. And over a period of time, you get in better and better company who think like you do, and they. You always have to keep that standard up. So, like, if you get an opportunity to be in a band, it's oh, that's a real good band. I'll never get in something like that. And that, but do you are, you find yourself in something like that. You just you keep growing. Is it is my point? Yeah, right, 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 right. You know, the more. Um, yeah. Well, I
0: think I think you're I think you hit on a whole bunch of stuff just there. But one of them for sure is that I think that there's a lot of people out there who. You know, we try. I try to figure out all the time what separates the great ones from the mediocre one. From the and a lot of it can just be pure talent, and that's that, that's part of what it is. But there's also, like I said, there's also a drive in some people that doesn't exist in everybody. And yeah. and yeah, and and what
1: it's, is that? Well, it's something you. I have always believed it's either something you have or you don't have. Now, there's no criticism about people who don't have that. There's no criticism about um, somebody who, not looking to have their life center around music or your, your abilities as a musician right. there's no criticism you know what i mean there's nothing wrong with that you know play on weekends once in a while have a good time yeah that's all that matters that's why some people don't really aren't aren't really striving to go any uh take it anywhere you know what i'm saying yeah. but then there's the element of there's certain people who have that uh it's more than that this is all i know how to do this is all i want to do yeah. And they, there's a certain inherent thing that you either have, I think, or you don't have. Yeah. And um, I, that, which which leads me to uh, about lessons and things. I, I had never taken lessons, and I one of my early experiences when I'll I tell, was, you what, I tell you what I'm gonna cut you off real quick because we're gonna take a break. Okay,
0: I'm gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to hear about that. You're gonna remind me whatever. I what don't, I know. I took lessons. Yet. I got we'll you. Forget. I got you. I won't forget. We come back a couple minutes with Alan Green, guys. A Couple minutes. You're listening to Level Up Cleveland.
1: What's going on Level Up
0: listeners? Signal Flow Studios is a Cleveland recording studio founded in 2013, located in the steel yard just down the hall from Brian and Pat at Level Up Cleveland. At Signal Flow we pride ourselves in offering top quality audio and a great recording experience to artists here in town and from across the country. But what makes us unique at Signal Flow is our undivided attention to the people who keep us going. That's you, the artists. So come on in and let us make your music our top priority. You can book online at www.signalflowstudio.com or give us a call at 216-920-2075. We'll see you soon. And we're back. Mr. Alan Green is still with us. And we were talking about uh, some lessons. That, you know, we were talking about basically your progression into this whole thing and stuff. And I do want to get into your bands, and we're going to get into all that still because you've been in a number of bands. You, you got into the the humble pie for a little while there. You
1: were the reformed version, of the yeah, band. but Not still the original.
0: Story. No, but still, it's still pretty, still pretty badass. And then, uh, breathless, you were a, a, a member of breathless. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that we were just talking off camera about the innocent. Yeah. That you were a part of. That was Trent
1: Rosner He was in, in band. the band he with you. He wasn't. It wasn't his band per se. No, but he, I mean, he was a keyboard you, player. Yeah, but you were band.
0: in the band with him, and that was kind of neat. And, and people right. don't realize that he was a kind of a local dude there. Right. And I, another one that I really think it, that I I'm familiar with from back well, I remember was is Mr. Stress. Oh yeah, the Mr. Stress band,
1: Mr. which
0: was a blues band, basically, right? I mean, that was very that was like basically what they did, and, and right up your alley, I guess, right.
1: Oh, well, Stress was uh, Bill Miller, Mr. Mm-hmm. Stress. He passed away about five, six years ago. Um, he, was a, he was one of the earlier guys in town, you know, going back to the 60s, doing blues, like uh, white guys at least, white guys doing blues, I yeah, suppose, right. I guess, <laughs> right. <clears throat> to be fair about it. But, um, no, he was like a big uh, disciple of the Chicago blues, Paul Butterfield kind of sounding, um, James Cotton, harmonica tone and uh and uh so he no he was he would do yeah what you mentioned some obscure blues tunes some uh less obscure blues tunes but he he had his own sound and his own approach
0: did you did you early on in guitar playing um you know your 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 heroes right off the bat are you said like the harrisons and you have the big four the big four and 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 heavily blues, you know, uh but that's what they're doing. I mean, they're they're the ones that are really putting the blues into the rock and well, roll. They're, re- at they're
1: reinterpreting time. it their way.
0: So what I'm what I'm going to ask you though is, and and they're interpreting it from like Holland Wolf and all these old Delta blues guys that were doing right. it first, right. Rolling Stones, and, you yeah. Know, well, I mean, Mighty like they're Waters and and you know, and, the and, and and that, I think the funny thing about the blues is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people realize this, but is that you know, there's not a lot of new blues that is remade. Most blues is just old blues riffs and songs and, and rhythms right. that are just just used again and again.
1: Until Stevie Ray Vaughan comes along, which is few and far between, but he certainly... Uh, he changed things up. up a little. He woke it up.
0: That's, that's the guy who did that. But I'm just saying, though, at that time, though, back especially then, though, like, like you're not... Like, that's one thing about the blues is like... I mean, look at Led Zeppelin, right? I mean, like, how many of Led Zeppelin's songs are actually... You know their
1: version of, of, a, of a blues, Willie really. Dixon, who uh, uh, you know famously, if you're kind of on the inside looking in, uh, looking further in at least, uh, they they failed to give him credit to half of the half of the things the, the ideas. I'm exaggerating, but yeah. a lot of the ideas came from songs that either maybe he wrote or Muddy Waters wrote, and they took a lick in there, a lick here, a lick there, and it became a Zeppelin tune, and they rocked it out and kind of added a few things. <clears throat> excuse me uh and that later on in fact uh they got sued or something by willie dixon and he finally got credit uh later on in subsequent recording or releases what are you, pressings pressings is what i'm trying to say uh because uh yeah that's it was it. like you you listen to um some of these things and there there's no question where uh, it came from sure sure so i mean you, you always borrow from your inspirations you yeah, know, borrow is a nice way for steal. Yeah, stealing is malicious sounding, but it's it's not really. It's just uh oh, I steal I steal from the best, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, influenced by, so all these kind of things, you know, they repeat, and then there's a new new chemistry of people reinterpret it. And it changes a little, but it's there. It's the core of it is all there.
0: Did you go back and, and look into those guys the, the, from the Delta Blues guys? If, did you ever go back and try to like find out where your heroes? Heroes. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I, uh, I have heard. I haven't deliberately done that, but uh, over the years, I, I, I'm a little more passive about the old original uh blues uh delta day de, you know you're born an electric
0: or, guitar blues yeah type.
1: i'm gonna i be, be perfectly honest i'm not uh trying to fool anybody i'm i'm kind of a mishmash um kind of musical schizophrenia schizophrenia <laughs> about being a rock player or a blues player but blues is always at the root of my thing and then i got to return more to it but um i'm i'm losing my delta, 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 yeah, the the delta, delta, delta guys you said you just never really
0: got into that so you stuck so you it was it was the electric guitar that got yeah, you into it and you i got, got a little st-
1: bored with the original stuff but uh for a short period of time uh, i was uh hosting a blues show on oh wow radio which was online radio station and i got to listen to a lot of the old stuff that uh a lot of which i had of course heard before and some of the ones i i didn't and i went wow that's isn't that interesting sometimes it's cool if you don't know a song's original format or arrangement and you're given the song kind of, and you know it sort of by somebody else, yeah. it, it's all different. And you end up playing it, not like the original thing, but uh, reminiscent to a point, but not, <laughs> certainly not trying to copy the old thing with right, the right. old uh, stomping and sitting on the front porch kind of with the acoustic guitar or whatever. Yeah, that's what that's what it was. I mean, uh, it was- so you interpret things differently, and you don't hear them, you don't hear them, originally done. You don't know how they were supposed to go. And I think in a blues kind of group, that's helpful because you're not going to mimic some. What are you going to do? You're going to try to be somebody from 1930. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm an old black guy in in uh, Georgia and Mississippi. Uh, no. You're a white suburban kid, you know, who <laughs> listens, plays electric guitar through a martial amp or something. Right, 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 right. I mean, right, let's right. be honest about it. Yeah, so, right. I'm not trying to... Uh, you
0: can actually, and it's true story because you can actually, if you hear some of those recordings from back in them days with those guys, you can hear things through those recordings that's coming through that music that's not just typical oh no it was a very different time and those guys were living very different lives and it's in the music it's in the name of the music the blues for christ's sake right
1: yeah absolutely
0: but but you're right but i have listened to a lot of that and it is it is uh, it's amazing how good those guys actually were i can see why the british guys
1: their minds were blown you know they were like what the hell
0: yeah and and that's and it's great that it all happened though
1: they idolized all that's what they you know where did the rolling stones get there you know, yeah. I mean, they, and they they were never they never hit it. Oh no, you know, no. They gave nothing but accolades and you know to the originators. Oh yeah, man. They as were they just. Should. And, yeah,
0: they were doing blues rock versions of blues songs for exactly. a lot of a lot
1: of the Stones. That's what it is. Absolutely. man. Absolutely, they did it the way they thought it could be done or knew how to do it. They you know.
0: So so let me ask you this: so you you learn how to play guitar still you, st- you got to get a band together eventually here, right? You're like, like, w- at what point are you, I mean, are you, are you, have, did you take lessons? No. you never took guitar lessons. No. Self-taught. And, and when you say self-taught, that just means by ear. Yeah. Because we didn't have YouTube and, and we didn't have things like uh, that kids have available to, to them today where, you know, like, you know, like scales and, and that mm. kind of thing that you got to have to know to to learn how to play guitar. Who, how do you learn scales and how do you learn stuff like that?
1: I never was one to learn scales. I can't tell you what scale is what. When I hear people, uh, you know, going off, oh, this is in the so and so mixolydian or some scale or this or that or D minor, or flatted. Uh, it's like I don't even listen. I don't even hear it because it, I don't understand it. So, so music theory itself isn't something that uh, you, I'm bored with needed. The music theory. It's you know, it's very good if a person wants to do. Uh, let's say recording studio session work, or movie soundtracks, or or do a get hired as a, a band performer at a theatrical event, you know, a, a pit player in uh, at play in Playhouse Square for some Broadway show that's in touring. You know, the musicians union will get people to fill those spots and sure. be in those bands. Well, you have to be able to read. You have to be able to have that professional understanding. As a studio, a professional studio guy, you go to either the coasts, and these uh, all these major guys are playing on all these different records. They get it. They read. They have the charts. They know it. They know the theory. They know everything. They get it down, bang, bang. I'm real slow in the studio. I go I go in there, and I'm just like, where? I where? My concentration is horrible, and it takes me like, unless I'm lucky. It could be quick, but unless I'm lucky, I could... <laughs> it might take me uh 25 takes to get something that i'm content with you know oh yeah i mean that, but that's so I, I don't have that kind of discipline I, but i don't think it really matters because i think people are either have a um an ear for music you know you play by ear is what i've always done i could hear something and i could kind of
0: you know the, the notes i, I know are what, on what sounds
1: right and i know what sounds wrong and right. i'm sure most everybody knows what sounds right and wrong right. um and so I try to uh, spend more time with the right notes than the wrong notes. <laughs> right, 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 right. But uh, And that's subject to uh, catastrophe at any given moment, but <laughs>
0: not so, a bad night. <laughs> so, well, I mean... It's funny you say that though. A bad night for some people though is basically sometimes all locked up in their own head, and nobody else. will really that's saw, the truth. Yeah, nobody else really saw the same night. That's that right. they that They
1: experienced. Interestingly, uh, you could you could think you had a great night. You're playing, and you're feeling like you're on another planet. It's everything it should be. Everything's connected, and you you think when you get done, oh, you're gonna be people hey, gonna be like, that's, "That's the greatest night I ever saw you do." No, but then you nobody even yeah makes note of it, and it's like oh, okay, and then. You think it was great, and nobody cares. And other nights, <laughs> really feeling lost and not not together at all, not in sync, you know, not on your game. And then everybody, my God, you sound! i never heard you sound so good. You know, it's <laughs> so, the way it and is. I'm not kidding. It does work that way. And I have a feeling everybody's like that too.
0: I do too. You know I think, I think it's funny that when you think about when especially when you first start playing music we were just talking about this other band and you and you're going out there the first the nerves the nerves the thoughts that go through your head oh I'm going to do this wrong I'm going to do that wrong and even if you did it wrong not one person in the audience is well that's not, right, they never know right. none of that stuff ever blows you up know in your Miles face Yeah
1: Miles Davis said though, the only thing wrong the only thing that defines a wrong note is the note that follows it Oh yeah, pretty profound. Pretty <laughs> profound. It really so, is. Yeah, make a mistake, make it sound like you meant it. But I
0: don't know. So, at what point did you want to be the Beatles? I mean, you you said you see the Beatles on, on that's all, and you're like, I want to do that. You now you've learned guitar. Now it's your now you got to got to get some guys together. And 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 what's interesting about that time, I imagine, also is that you know the Beatles just came out recently, so everybody isn't available out there playing the same kind of music. You got to find these guys. Like like there's probably. You know like it's not like today where 7000 people play rock guitar and you can f- there there's only a few of you guys am I right
1: Early like Yeah uh, like when you're first that. when you're just after you just learn guitar you got to form a band How I didn't you work- form I didn't form any bands I I formed you my own band ba- I formed my own band which is, exists today but uh, that was until 1998 So you so. joined a band I was a member of bands I either joined a bands uh or happened to be a founding member of some young band that with my buddies who happen to be musicians i got you Cir- circumstantial a lot of it and and i was never really the uh, instigator uh the first band i was ever in ever in when i was a teen <laughs> was i was in sitting in a music store go- googling at the guitars on the walls and sitting there playing uh you know who knows this is Primitive stuff, Louis. Louis, something from the mid '60s. right? right. Really primitive. That's all we knew. Um, and some some kid comes over and he's fast. He's listening to me. Introduces himself. He's a drummer and uh, he he was uh, kind of a hyper guy like me. And we ended. Up, he kind of led me into this thing and we got, got a band together. But I didn't have anything to do with it. And I've always been that way. Either jo- joined somebody else's band or became somebody else, a part of somebody else's band. Yeah, so that... I never was the motivator, the starter. You know, it only came many, many years later, like I said, when I started my own group with the help of my drummer at the time. Uh, let's do this. We jammed and we had a good time uh, with a couple of friends. And let's oh, it sounds good. We got to do this. And we did. And, of course, my band has changed configurations a few times since then. Yeah. But uh, originally... So I, I really never... But what was uh, the first thing you got into? What was the first band you, you entered? Me? You, yeah. The band was called the Gang Green. Oh, I like it. But it wasn't... Uh, it had nothing to do with my name. It just was the Gang Green, like our, our motto on our business card. Oh, I get
0: you. It wasn't... I see. I see what you said. Dude. You just happened to be Alan Green in Gang Green yeah that's basically had nothing yeah. to do
1: with my name but so so what, what was that like the, what was the, the motto of that band by the way was for the spread of infectious music <laughs> i like it
0: yeah that's clever and we had business cards guys sound like like you're
1: guys like ahead of your time there a little. green felt on the business card wow because a couple of the guys in the band were they were thinkers you know
0: yeah man doing it. that's ahead of your time a little bit sounds like there was some of that stuff yeah, maybe um, and what was that doing? Were you guys playing rock? Are you are you then, playing?
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Rock then. Keep in mind, where the time frame, the era. Well, I mentioned Louie Louie. Yeah. That was new on the radio. Yeah. A Little Black Egg. Uh, 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 Paul Revere and the Raiders. Um, you know, we're talking about simple stuff. Um, uh, hang on Sloopy. Yeah, right, right. You right. know, s- essential simple stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was all you had to be able to do cuz it, it what came later hadn't happened yet right 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 <laughs> right 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 so it was coming though well so uh, you had to play that well uh, you know you tried at least you didn't have to there was nothing riding on it but you wanted to
0: so then so then you're you know the the there's an evolution in music that comes and stuff and and everything changes what was that like at that point? I mean, like, now are you having to, like, relearn things as far as, like, how you're playing or is, uh, you know, th- th- there's a whole other level that, uh, of musicianship that's, that, that takes place here, and you're in the middle of all this learning while this happens, right?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's just like anything that you're growing with, you're growing. You're not, uh, if you're 20, you're not 15 anymore. Yeah. you've learned five more years of life. Yeah, right, right. Even right. though you don't realize it at the time and then when you're 30, you're not 20. Or when you when you're 50, you're not 25 anymore. Right. And you still feel like uh you don't know what you're doing, but you got 25 years more experiences in your life and you, you learn. Yeah. Right. It's any learning experience.
0: Yeah. I know. But I mean, like, like you said, it's like it was seismic at that time though. And this was like a big change. You know, you went from Louie Louie to, you know, from, and, and all of a sudden,
1: you know, everybody did. Yeah. Not just me. I mean, I was just, I was just, uh, riding the wave of life. You know, (laughs) I'm doing like everybody does. Right, 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 right. Uh, Everything's going to change. I want to keep doing this. And like I said earlier, Listening to the Beatles, my heroes, and then then the Jimi Hendrix comes out, or the Cream, or the Zeppelin. Or, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, right. That it, comes out another so, level. So it's another level. But you just well, you try to you learn that, or you fi- try to try to learn that. How did he get that guitar to, to distort like that? You know. Yeah, right. They, right. See, that's another thing. <laughs> In the early my early days, guitar was clean. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah. There was no distortion. You no. Know, and then when the, you know they introduced the fuzz fuzz tone guitar pedal, which are like satisfaction, bam, bam. The yeah. dis. And I, of course, I had one. That was the first distortion thing. And then the first time I ever, um, I remember this so well. Glenn Schwartz is a local. Now there's a hero for you. Sure. He passed away sadly. Uh, he influenced a lot of really uh, some of my favorite local people. Um, he came back from California after he uh, left Pacific Gas and Electric out in California and uh, came back to Cleveland and played at D. Pooh's Tool and Dye Works in the Flats on Columbus Road, the original Dee And he had him and his brother Gene and a drummer. I can't exactly recall who was the drummer. And Glenn was the, the end-all blues Cleveland guy. He was the original guitar player in the James Gang preceded Joe Walsh, uh, and he knew uh, all these tricks, how to overdrive an amplifier, get that sound, that distar- distorted sound that you're hearing on a Cream album or, a, you know what I mean, right. Jeff Beck. That and you guys couldn't all figure out. We didn't know the... quite how we are trying to figure it out, didn't know how to do it. Some people would cut their speakers with a razor blade. I never did that, but uh, just to get a distortion and, uh, Glenn knew how to overdrive it with a preamp and how to do that and hook it up. And I saw him, he had this amp, little small amp and he had this little thing with tubes sticking up on the, and he knew how to do it. He had that sustain and that he was a master of the vibrato and the blues thing. And he was light years ahead. Yeah, he's great. I mean, light he's, years ahead of us. And, um, that, uh, that, that's how you learn. That's how you learn. And then you, then you're, maybe your more educated buddy who has an electronics, uh, Ilk, is that the right word? Has a tendency. Ilk. Yeah, I think um, that's right I think I think what it means. Good word, though. Yeah. Um, you know, helped you. Oh, I'll have, we'll figure that out. And he wires this, and you get a. If you don't blow up an amp, then you learn how it, you know. Yeah. It's a learning thing.
0: Well, I mean, like, I mean, like, so, so, like, because when Butch was in here, he told us the Glenn Schwartz story. Also, oh well, he
1: was, yeah, probably one of the great disciples of Glenn. Yeah,
0: he loved him and all that. Oh, but the, what you know, like what he said it was exactly what you just said, actually, almost verbatim. That that, <laughs> that 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 everybody was searching for these techniques and these tricks and these sounds and how yeah. are they doing all this? And then Glenn comes back and he's like, "Here's how you do it." And I was thinking to myself, like, Glenn was it your guys's YouTube. Yeah. Right, and he was like YouTube for you guys. Like you, you, as long as you went and saw Glenn, you were like, oh, and then you could go back. Wow, <laughs> that's simplifying it
1: quite a bit. Yeah, right. You know what to, I mean? Like, yeah, oh, right. oh, that's how he does. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah, do you just couldn't like just that. go do it. No, yeah, you had to yeah, do it just kind, like that. Yeah, right. No problem. He was on that. a different planet, and he was a showman to uh, to boot.
0: Did he influence you? Would you say like to, to like to to keep getting better when you see a guy like that? And you're like son of a bitch? oh
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, intimidated actually. Yeah, you know, I was always intimidated by a lot of people. And it's like, what's the use? I'll never do that. Yeah. Uh, so you did go down. down, down, down wanna, I want to, I want to, I'm never going to play again. You know, bumps me out, bump, you know, I was always that way. And
0: then you'd work at it and then eventually you'd get Yeah.
1: There. You know, I mean, the drive to play was too strong to not play, yeah. but.
0: So let's get into the bands. We got to get, we got to get into the bands. This is too, too much fun to talk to. I think we could do this for like four hours, but we can't. So, you were a member of Breathless,
1: yes, sir. When did that happen? Um, nineteen seventy-eight to nineteen eighty-one, I believe. The beginning of eighty-one or New Year's. Um, I joined. Jonah Coslin was the uh, leader of Breathless, the main, the force, the writer. Um, he had an incarnation of Breathless before they became uh, as w- as well known, and uh, he made a few changes. He wanted to. He was the only guitarist in the band at that time. He'd left Michael Stanley to form Breathless. Um, it was kind of at a high point of their relationship, but he wanted, he had the urge to do his own thing because he was a pretty, uh, Jonah is always a very um, um, prolific writer, writes in all kinds of styles and had a, had a good thing going. And there, he wanted to be uh, share it, the guitar duties. He was the only guitarist in the band at that time. And he wanted to be more of the front guy. So he's looking for a guitar player. And I got, uh, long story short, I got uh, into it, into the band. And so he could, like, not play while I'm, I'm holding on the guitar or whatever so he could concentrate more on the, the crowd or whatever.
0: The vocal part or whatever. Whatever. Right?
1: So, yeah. And then, uh, so when that, that was about early 79 or late 78, early 79. And after I got in the band and uh, Mark Avsek, keyboard player, who later went on with Donny Iris and so forth and another million stories there for you. um, uh, We got, the band was managed by uh, Mike Belkin was our manager. Uh, Belkin Productions were still around. It wasn't, they weren't merged with... uh, Lively Nation as they are today. But uh, Mike Belkin managed us. He managed Michael Stanley. He managed a um, um, couple of him, oh, well, Carl Maduri. Well, I don't want to get too convoluted here. Uh, so so they got a, we got a record deal on EMI Records, EMI America specifically, which was no, no small matter. It was a major label. And the music business at that time was very different, too. It's not like today, and everybody has records out, and everybody has their own labels, and this and that, or yeah. little regional labels. But EMI was a worldwide capital records. EMI Capital, United Artists, were all owned by... So, <clears throat> in fact, the Beatles were on EMI. Yeah. Need I say more? So we got a record deal, and it was, uh, we did two albums. And during uh, the first one was in 1979, recorded at Criteria Studios in Miami, where... All the mega platinum stuff was done. And uh, the second one we did out in L.A. at Sound City. Oh, really? And, uh, and it was great. So that was 1979. And then by, by the end of 1980, it, uh, the last gig was right at the end of 1980. And Jonah wanted to, he, he was feeling put upon by the record company wanting more poppy hits. Like the first album was very well accepted. Really well accepted. We were like locally kings of the road, you know, uh, other than Michael himself, Michael Stanley himself. We uh, uh, we were getting all kinds of favorable things and we experienced as we were toured with major acts and this and that. So I think he just, uh, between management and record labels, kind of prodding him to kind of go take a direction that he, he felt rebellious and uh, started rebelling. And the second album was a lot less poppy and bright than the first one. It was a darker, more uh, serious sounding and great record. Don't get me wrong. Phenomenal rock and roll album and, uh, but different. Uh, and so he, it started to kind of dissolve and he just wanted to go on. <laughs> I think yeah. every three years he gets an itch and wants to change it.
0: Yeah. Some people are like that, right? He's he like is, that. He's yeah. like that, I think. All right, we're going to take another break. And we're gonna come back here in a couple more minutes with Mr. Alan Green. You're listening to Level Up Cleveland. And we're back. Mr. Alan Green. Really appreciate you coming down again, man. I Wanted to tell you that again. My, um my so we talked about breathless and a couple other things I wanted to I wanted to talk about here. Some of the other bands that you were in and, and stuff like that. One thing you even mentioned before, the innocent. Yes. This is pretty interesting stuff because yeah. you, you, you play with Trent Reznor in this band.
1: Well, well among others, yes.
0: Yeah. And, and, well, it's just, you know, uh, it's, he, he went on. We had another, we had some other people in here that, that have talked about Trent yeah. and, and how right. he's kind of like through, and this was obviously before Nine Inch Nails, all um, that kind of stuff. Um, anything unique about the guy? I mean, I'm sure you get told, asked that a lot, but I'm just curious. Is there any, anything unique about the guy at the time that you thought anything special about?
1: He was serious, a serious guy. He was kind of fairly quiet about stuff. Um, uh, he was thinking. He, could, he was always thinking, though. Smart guy. And his dad was a uh, fairly young in my to me at the time. His father used to carry around a video uh, camera. Now they, this was the, when they still had, were larger. So yeah, MTV was. Uh, this was in the eighties, mid eighties. MTV was a brand new okay and his father was uh videotaping him every gig and uh and trent tended to play towards that camera you know he had a keyboard on a swivel oh so he'd face the band and then he'd swivel it you know kind of a <laughs> yeah kind of neat kind of, kind of like wow not, not a huge thing but it, yeah, was, but gimmicky, it was effective right cute. but uh he was always kind of aware, and it's like I didn't know or never never thought about it until years later that he he was gr- being groomed. He was grooming himself, or his help, dad was helping him with that video thing. That new revolution that yeah. was going on. We didn't think twice about it, but his dad had always he's always working that camera.
0: Well, what, like what, so, Alan Greed and Trent Reznor. It just sounds like a very odd couple, and I'm so I'm wondering like what kind well, of music are you guys? What, what, what's, I, mean,
1: obviously- I want to emphasize one thing about Trent. <clears throat> he, he, was, he played keyboards in the band. He wasn't like a, uh, a central figure. He wasn't the Trent that he later became in, in terms of, you know. Um, right. He was kind of on the path of discovery, I guess. When we first found him, <clears throat> we were looking to, for a keyboard player, and we went to see this band. They were called The Urge, which he was a member of, and they were like a copy band. We went to Spanky's West or somewhere or East, somewhere or Painesville to see him. We talked about him because we had a we had just gotten a record deal with a new label in Chicago, out of Chicago, and it was um there was all kinds of money behind it and <clears throat> impressive credentials potentially, right? And so there was a we were we we're going to do an album and we long story short um, we let Trent know about this and that and. He, uh, he says, yeah. He's, so he ended up joining the band, but he just really was a, a keyboard guy. And the, the main, the, the main uh, forces in the band were Rodney Syka, our lead singer, who has been with Michael Stanley ever, you know, the last 30 years until Michael passed. Uh, he was in Breathless with me, and uh, I've known him since the 70s. And then our keyboard player, Gary Jones, who, uh, great writer, amazing musician and he uh ended up being offered a job in chicago a house job for red label records this company and um he ended up moving there and working there so we needed to get a keyboard player to replace gary and trent became that guy i see i see so uh <clears throat> that was it he was always quiet and uh, you know me and Rodney were always silly and stupid and embarrassing him, <laughs> and he was a little younger, right? I mean, oh little, yeah, 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 right? You know oh, what? for sure. But no, he had he had he had his sights on something. There was no question. He he kind of knew where the bullshit lied. Yeah, you know what I mean. When we uh, when we would be have a meeting in Chicago at the record company's office with this head guy who, <clears throat> I won't get into this, but <laughs> the guy was you know smooth talking whatever, and Trent was. Noticeably itchy and not comfortable. Not that not that any of us were comfortable with certain things that were ideas that were being presented, you know. But uh, I think Trent kind of knew where what was bullshit and what wasn't more than I did.
0: Yeah, he had an intuition. You would yeah, say like he, he was a pretty
1: pretty shrewd guy. Help, help
0: guide him through he, some of this stuff. He, he kind of identified things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Then you, we have, I have Mr. Stress Band on here now. That Was that soon after that, or was that, like, so The yes. so soon after that you formed that band? Oh, well, you didn't, form, I didn't it. form it. You didn't it form well. it. Right, right. You Mr.
1: Stress Bla- Blues Band existed since the late 60s. Right, right, right. 68. Right. So you joined them. And, yeah, in about 84, maybe. And that was Mr. Stress Blues Band? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about them, guys. What was that like? What was that time Well, was? Stress was a real character. Yeah. Uh, he was a he was real, especially when he was young, he was a real real devoted and really poured it out, the blues, you know, the Chicago style. As he got older, as, as inevitably happens with so many of us, it kind of like some of that fire goes to a lower flame, you know. Yeah. And so it's, it's a constant battle to make sure it doesn't. Yeah, like well, <laughs> these people inspired. Fact, fact of life, you know. Yeah. Um, so he was the uh, lead guy. Piano player Mike Sands, the drummer was uh, um, Nick Tranchito. uh bass player was uh, um, Raymond DeForest, a great bassist. It was just a real good band, real good band. And, and this was this was like a pretty well received band, also. If I'm well, honest. they were heroes in a in a certain area, a little pocket of Cleveland. They were there was you know the Mister Stress Blues Band name carried weight in the blues local blues scene. It yeah. really did. Yeah, He yeah. was like an institution. Yeah, right. I mean, he was, especially around the University Circle area, Euclid Tavern, the old Euclid Tavern, the brick cottage. He was like an institution. Yeah, right. They, they just they so just... I get to go in and then, uh, kind of in the heyday of the Euclid, you know, it was packed every week. You know, we were a house band there, like every, every single week, week, you know, weekend, and it was packed every time. Oh my God! How long did that go on for? Well, let's see. The Euclid Tavern ended up getting sold. Somewhere during the late '80s, and that was uh, that changed everything because uh, the new owners didn't. They knew how to make the walls look nice and, you know, put put some uh, put a nice bathroom in and stuff. But they didn't know how to uh, have a live about, venue about music business or a band, and they're a little hard to deal with. And I think it just kind of started going down and it lost its whole thing. And and that stress band started going through different. Yeah. Um, uh, Personnel changes and evolved to different things, and uh, it there was a peak. Everything has a peak. Sure, know, right. So, it, so I, I was it was really rolling when I uh, got to play with them. It was a lot of fun. It was a weekly gig that you always looked forward to. Yeah, right. You knew and what was going to happen.
0: It's and it's exciting when you're playing in
1: front of that many people. A oh, it's, a blast. it's yeah. so small. It wasn't a it's big. Why place. you do it? Euclid Tavern was never a big place. No, but it was. Uh, it was kind of a dive to tell you, you know, nobody's going to argue that. But uh, it was certainly our kind of place. There was definitely a vibe that came
0: from oh that place. God, so yeah. That was like a historic type place. You oh felt man, like you were. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a couple other things we want to get into is the, the revival of Humble Pie. Uh, when, they, when, they, when they redid the whole thing, you were part of that also.
1: Well, Jerry Shirley, uh, the original drummer, a lot of people know his name in Cleveland because he used to, they invited him on to WNCX. And, you know, things kind of took a, Dastardly turn towards the end, and
0: yeah, I think uh, I remember what happened. Actually, that had to do yeah. with the, the food drive, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
1: we don't want to get too much. No, into but I that, remember I, it did have to do with the food drive. Yeah, it did, and I, yeah. I know I I could kind of identify what some of the things that could have happened, knowing Jerry as well as I did. Yeah, because uh, uh, I'd been working with him by that time, and uh, Jerry Shirley was on tour with. It Could have been Badfinger because some of his buddies, Joey Moland and so forth, I think he did a, a short stint filling in with those guys. Wow, they're old buddies! Wow. And uh, uh, and so he, he, coming through Cleveland, he met the woman he ended up marrying and he located here. And uh, suddenly, oh, there's Jerry the drummer, Humble Pies drummer is in town, and oh, and you know, it's kind of a little buzz, at least in my circle of friends. So I kind of went figured, well, I'm going to make my presence known and get to meet him and so forth. You know, by then, like Butch and Frankie Starr and a lot of people who already know him got to meet him. And, and I, uh, I went up and jammed with him on a jam thing at the old Sahara, uh, Sahara Bar uh, in Willoughby Hills, <laughs> a real rocking place. And uh, we kind of so we're smiling. He's smiling at me, and I'm smiling at him. And I'm going back while you know, and playing. And he's like, we're grinning at each other. <clears throat> and next thing I know, about I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call. I was living in Wycliffe at the time, which was close by there. But the phone rings, and uh, I get a message on my answering machine, which we used to have. Uh, e- Hello, mate. This is uh, Jerry Shirley. I was wondering. Uh, I got a gig in hum- in uh, Pittsburgh. I was wondering if you'd be interested. Give me a call at the blah.
0: Sounds good.
1: Yeah. So I I called him back. Uh, Well, yeah. Sounds interesting. So I I got the homework. Uh, I started listening to their stuff, concert stuff, uh, Fillmore Live at the Fill, you know, all this stuff. And then I got in touch with the lead singer, Charlie Hewn, who's from Detroit. And Charlie Hewn, the lead singer, who was filling the Steve Marriott position of the original Humble Pie. And Charlie Hewn, a great rock singer, played with Ted Nugent from years and albums, several albums with Nugent, so he had this, he had this (laughs) big-time rock ability in place, and had, he knew how to fill that void, because Steve Marriott was not an easy void to fill, but he did a hell of a job, Charlie, so I got on the phone with him, and we, he gave me pointers, I took notes, and uh, about this song, we went through all the set lists that they're likely to be doing, and Here's, I'm going to be doing the solo on this song. You're going to be doing the solo on this song. And then we're going to switch off on this song and blah, blah, blah. We did a little homework on the phone. And I just spent about concentrated for like, until that gig came up in a a couple of weeks. So that when I went in, the first gig I did was at the Syrian mosque in Pittsburgh, which was a kind of a happening concert venue uh, with Humble Pie. And I'd never played with him before. I met this Charlie, our lead singer. In, and a bass player from also from Detroit met them on stage yeah. <laughs> when I or when I got there in the back room and I First had done my homework and uh, and they were real happy afterwards and I was, had a good time and uh, that was it and I just spent the next ten years doing every gig they had wow just turned into a ten yeah, year gig to Germany and everywhere from the East Coast uh, to the West Coast from uh, from Seattle to Florida to New Hampshire to uh, wow. ...to... Uh, um, Pretty all wild over, stuff. It, we could over. probably
0: do a podcast on that alone. Probably just all well, your experiences doing that. Probably some
1: of the experiences were great. Some of them were not great because number one, there's there's one faction of people who were total fans of the band, love it, love their music, come hell or high water, and it doesn't matter if it's not all original members. If the band sounds, no. if it's really, it was not a lay down lounge version of Humble Pie. It was a kick ass rocking version. Right. So, um. Some people want that some purity. People, some people, some uh, people would love it, and they just uh, treated you like kings that they thought you were. Perception is reality, right? And other people who were real hardcore and uh, knew that uh, oh, Steve Merritt's not here. Peter Frampton's not in the band anymore. Yeah. Who are these guys? Right. Even though they're doing a hell of a good job, I'd like to think uh you can't fault them and some people held it you know okay that's not legitimate so so and that's i'm i'm kind of like that myself with yeah things. right so i understand that but the band did really uh really go out and, did you guys did the best you could to, to did a, fly did, the flag
0: for humble pie man it
1: was uh it was a very powerful band yeah. we had a good time and some bad stories too because
0: sure. yeah, you're gonna have good ones and bad ones when you got all that time and all the yeah. places you've been and all that sure tour. you also recorded with michael stanley and donnie iris
1: yeah, but just just a little
0: stuff. I mean, like that. that but that was
1: stuff. Not any like well-known things that they did, but uh, in the studio with them, like a, a Donny Irish thing before Donny broke out with Aliyah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, we did. I did a little recording, uh, uh, put some guitar on a thing, a single uh, with Michael. I played on one of his CDs, and uh, my, I did some shows uh, as a uh, Michael Stanley and Friends, for example. He did some shows back then on a. Uh, in, on the harbor there, not the harbor, what do you call it? North Coast Harbor, where the Rock Hall is in that yeah. facility. Previous to when they built it. And, you know, I was included on that, and I played. So, yeah. yeah a little stuff, but that's still, but that's interesting. Not stuff. a major player in no, his, but, but, on those, their worlds, but uh, contributed a little and got to know them well and be part of their worlds for a little bit.
0: Now, you say not a major player. Let me ask you a question. When you think about things like success, uh, okay? So, like like when a musician is... is considered successful or you hear that word get kind of thrown around a lot about artists in general, what do you, what is your definition of success? Like what, what, what would you say that means? Like, like, is it, let me real quick say this, a, a, a guy, for instance, who can make a living playing music, maybe he's not a millionaire. Maybe he doesn't even do a hundred thousand dollars a year. Maybe he makes $50,000 a year and lives moderately, but he can do it based on just playing music alone. Did that guy make it
1: or, or, or do you have to be a millionaire? The word success is totally subjective and misunderstood. Yes, he, I would say he's a successful. It depends what your goals are, I suppose. It doesn't matter what somebody else sees. Right. You know what I mean? No, yeah, nobody's going to see yeah. the same. Yeah, success
0: shouldn't be based on somebody else's opinion. It's based no, on your own opinion.
1: A lot, you know what they say about opinions. Yeah, right, right. right. And, yeah, sure. um, so uh, it really varies, and it's a sliding scale. Uh, there's people I can I know are successful, but other people don't know who they are, maybe. Right, right, right. And then uh, <clears throat> I'll make it this real quick, but uh, talk about Michael Stanley. Oh, one of the great qu- quandaries by a lot of people. Oh, how come Michael didn't become famous elsewhere? How come he wasn't successful elsewhere? Well, I say, you know what? That is total bullshit. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Michael was hugely successful. I mean, the guy set attendance records at Blossom, the Coliseum, and uh, had a TV career and had a radio career and has uh, legions of fans. Legions. And um, uh, beyond the norm. It doesn't matter. And he had pockets of markets in in the country who were hip to him and stuff like that. Albums on major labels, you know, and... uh, what can, don't tell me he's not successful. Oh yeah, you right. know, lived a good life, God bless him, and um, he he was a great guy.
0: Well, <laughs> you know I think, I, and I think, I think the problem is that that for whatever reason he gets compared to Bruce Springsteen. Well, success he, I kind of, but and, see,
1: I think that I think I don't want to get too much into no, I don't either. Scenario, but I think of that's those guys happens. except except I think he created that. Inevitable comparison only because he fashioned his band and his desires after that kind of sort of thing. Yeah. The Springsteen Seeger thing, the big large bands with the sax and the, yeah. try to emulate that. Yeah. And it's its hard to emulate that. Yeah. It's hard to take the Beatles and uh, want to be like the Beatles and become the Beatles, or yeah. as popular. Unless yeah. you're the Beatles. Right. And, and there's that, that a billion arguments. We won't get into that. I got you, I got you, I got you. But he was a great guy. And he was successful. Uh, He was totally successful. Don't listen to anybody because they don't know what they're talking
0: about. One thing I did notice when I was going through the research about you and stuff that I found to be extremely fascinating, and I definitely want to hear the story about this, is you wrote a song, or co-wrote a song,
1: with Carlos Santana. Not, he didn't write the song at all. Uh, Is it? Carlos didn't write the song. He did did uh, the song. He recorded the song. And who wrote it? You? I co-wrote it with Mark Avsek. Oh, Mark Avsek was a uh, also in Breathless with me. He later up went on to become Donnie Iris's, uh, Iris's main creative force. He produced and wrote their material, Aliyah, and all that stuff right after Breathless. And um, he and I, uh, he got together with me. He wanted to do a kind of a bluesy thing on my behalf. He, I thought it was wonderful of him. And let's just co-write some stuff. I said, "Well, Mark, I'm not a great writer. You know, I could, I could." I'm like a team guy. I could collaborate pretty good. But, well, no, come on, let's do it. Now. So we got together and wrote, oh, well, I don't know, 10 whatever songs. And he encouraged me to uh, write lyrics and stuff or try. And I knew damn well I couldn't write lyrics. Not being a vocalist and concentrating as a guitarist, and instrumentalist all my life. I didn't really have a good firm grasp and poetic well, <laughs> inclination a, towards lyrics. A like different a, art form. Yeah, and there's, you know. So, uh, he just encouraged me, nonetheless, so we kind of, I wrote what were pretty uh, elementary, maybe embarrassing or not, vocal uh, uh, lyrics or whatnot. So, we we did these tunes, and we wrote a song called, I forget what the original title was. It wasn't Angel Love at the time, which is the name of the song that Carol Angel
0: says. of Love, you said? A- Angel Love.
1: Angel Love. Angel Love, uh, Come For Me, in parentheses. <laughs> um So, we'd done the song. It was a cool thing. We got done, uh, and you know, a year later, nothing is obviously going on with this uh, tape that we'd have. And uh, a fellow named Mason Ruffner, Texas uh, guitar player, writer, well known in certain writing circles. He knew people like uh, people like Carlos Santana, Ringo Starr, Bob Dylan. knew of him knew of him. Fact, he actually played on a Bob Dylan album. Wow. Nobody knows who the guy is, even though he had an album on CBS and he had a, a video on MTV with a couple of our ex-Breathless guys uh, as his band and uh, got a deal on CBS. So he was close to Mark, who had worked with him in that band. So he, Mark played Mason Ruffner this song that we'd recorded, and uh, Mason really liked it a lot. He said Do he. Says to Mark, uh, "Would you mind if I change the lyrics on this song and kind of put in my own lyrics and kept everything else like as is?" And yeah, why not? we what are we else doing? Nothing's going on with it. Let's just do sure, sure. Mason Ruffner. So we he did it, and lo and behold, uh, long story short, he got it somehow got into the hands of Carlos Santana, who liked the song a lot, and and it, so it, writing credits were me, Mark, and then later Mason. Got added as a the lyric lyrics. Most of the music was I I was going to say the guitar hook and stuff like that. Uh, it was my idea, I guess. Yeah. take that. So
0: so so, so it's, it turns out you can write,
1: right? You just like you because
0: in the beginning you were like, "Well, I told him I'm, well not, no, I, I'm not." Well, no, co- I collaborated
1: collaborated uh, on the instrumental part. I, I wrote I wrote the but uh, bulk of the original part, but I didn't write the lyrics. Oh, but that doesn't
0: mean that much. I mean, that's the guitar part, just as important as those damn well. Lyrics. I
1: got to meet Santana, uh, during especially the, him. Well, I got to meet him at Blossom backstage because uh, as a result of that, and he goes, Did you write that? Uh, did you write that guitar lick? That uh, I, said, yeah. I said, Yeah, I love it, you know. I said, oh. Yeah, that was like, that, that so was- anyway, here's what's really the, the kick ass. <laughs> No, that's the wrong word. It's the opposite of kick-ass. It's a bad, it's a goofy story. He released the biggest album of his, uh, his entire career, set the world on fire with Supernatural, Carlos Santana. He got eight Grammys. It was everybody, the album of the year, everybody, you know, smooth with Rob Thomas yeah. with a big hit off of it. Uh, they're all duets, like uh, yeah. tracks with different people with Santana. And it sold gazillions of albums. Multi platinum, multi platinum, Uh, biggest uh, recording of his career, and then, uh, you know, me and Mark would always go. uh, Ah, it'd be so cool if he'd ever recorded that one. Because I remember Mark saying, "Oh, uh, he's doing it live." We've been told that he's doing it during his shows. But no kidding, we got to see him at Blossom. My wife and I went to Blossom, and he was playing there. Jeff Beck opened up, and, and Santana, and we're sitting there in the pavilion. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing this. I go, "They're doing, there it is!" And they're doing it. So, ah, how cool? A, what is a that? rush, right? So, I got backstage and talked to him later, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so he sold all these Supernaturals. Like, wow. Ah. Next thing you know, ten years later, Super Le- Supernatural Legacy Edition gets released, which is a tenth year, a- the tenth anniversary of, of Supernatural, uh, with a second disc added, n- new remixes added bonus tracks, things that weren't released or whatnot, you know. You got people like Clapton on there doing GM, all these big names. And um, our single was released as the, f- our song was released as the first single on the Legacy Edition Supernatural 10 years later, 2010. Wow. And uh, it didn't really do too much anymore because everybody who was going to buy that album certainly bought it. Already, the first already. time. Already, yeah. So, like, in comparison, it's a drop in the bucket. But so you know, I you like if I if I sold that many, the the second release thing, it would be pretty impressive. Yeah, right. But for him in scale, especially uh, after the, what the first one already had done. So yeah, so it really didn't. Uh, but there's my name, and there uh, there I am on uh, on that album. Uh, the, hey, so I real, real quick question about that before. Um,
0: so you're in the concert, and the song comes on. <laughs> Did you at all ever feel compelled to look at the guy next to you and go, "Yeah, I wrote that song"?
1: No, I just said, it. "I just <laughs> no.
0: no." I would, I, I would be like, I'd be like, yeah, "I wrote just to, just to fuck with them." If anything else, like, no one would believe you anyways. Who believes the guy next to him wrote the song that they're, they're currently listening yeah, to? It's
1: one of those funny things.
0: It is. It's cool. Um, all right, so then I want to get into kind of more up to date now because you now you have your BAM. Yes, sir. And. Like I said, I went and saw him last week. Killer, killer, killer band. Just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And I want to I announce the guys, to, you know, talk about them a little bit too because they're they're all, all four of you are all great. You could, I could watch you, I could watch anyone at any time. That's great. And I'm fine. So, I want to start with your uh, lead singer, Tom Odegaard. Odie. Odie. And he plays vocals and harmonica and he's pretty much equally as good on both of those instruments He's a well, real treasure, yeah. He's unbelievable, just incredible. I think he's got
1: one of the best uh, blues kind of voice, natural, unaffected, wonderful, natural voice. It's and perfect it's type warm, thing. It's warm, it's on, un- he's so proud of his singing, just as, he's as like what I try to do on guitar in terms of standard, keeping my own personal standards, try to keep it up not gets he's the same exact way
0: and, and both you guys seem to like you do your instruments effortless like his vo- his vocal singing it seems effortless to him and your guitar playing it looks effortless to you like you guys are just that good that you you don't even really have to try anymore no, <laughs> sometimes does. it looks you make it look good you yeah, know what i mean thanks. that's that's it, it, it's true um and that and that and this is the Alan Green band so you know they can come out and see you and you play locally you know i saw you at the union house you're playing that's pretty much all we do yeah, is that really the Union House is your main? Is oh it, no, no. I mean, oh, local. you just played small and smaller uh, venues. And I, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's what I loved. I was able to. I was like literally, how far away? I was only like five feet from you, or ten feet maybe well, from you. Local. Group. That's, that's the best.
1: I uh, now, we, you know, we had experiences of opening up show concert shows for people, maybe at the Kent Stage or maybe the Beachland or somewhere or another. Uh, opened up at the Allen Theater for the James Gang reunion back in two thousand and two or something like that when yeah, I first yeah, started yeah. The, the, the band, and um, but no, we we have uh, no pretenses. Uh, is that the right word? We we're just a local band, uh, yeah, small time thing, and uh, it's honest. There's no.
0: I, I honestly was sitting there thinking to myself, I could sit here and you uh, know it's free. There's no cover charge. I went in there, I sat down, I ate, I had a few beers, and I'm thinking am I gonna go pay a hundred dollars to go see some national act and sit ten miles from the stage and and <laughs> will I have nearly this much fun and i and I came to the conclusion no I was like there's th- th- this right here is more fun than that and, and 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 i and I really started to think about that and I'm like how many other people are, are are thinking this way like has anyone really discovered the fact that there's all this unbelievable stuff to go watch in our backyard right and they're not charging you hardly anything to do
1: this stuff you could go there and do it and it's like and and, and well, somebody's gotta have local you gotta have local bands. Yeah, man, but Cleveland has a good uh rep. I mean you travel around. If you don't if you take Cleveland music for granted, travel the country, uh stop in some clubs, not counting concerts, you know, you're not gonna see what you see in Cleveland, or you're not gonna hear what you hear in Cleveland. And it's second nature to Clevelanders taken for granted. But as long in my entire uh memory, as long as I could think the, st- the the qualities of, uh, of Cleveland musicians the caliber is far uh, beyond what you see in a majority of, of other cities. Yeah, it's not what you not counting New York City or L A or something or Nashville like the country. <laughs> right, right. Uh, there's there's always been a really uh, incredible caliber Scene. Of musicianship in Cleveland.
0: There is, there is. Drummer Rob Luoma, Luoma, awesome drummer. Another guy, man, I was just like
1: this. Enamored no nonsense. With. Yeah, no nonsense. The, Perfect. My favorite thing about precision. Favorite thing about my current band is that nobody's a hot dog. Nobody's an ego crazy person. It's just like uh, just real uh, laid back and try to have a good time. They're the great natured guys. Uh, you guys rock. have fun with each other too, for sure. I can tell you guys. You have
0: fun with each other oh, up there. Yeah, we, you, you guys are cutting it up, having a good time. Seems like, you know, you can do it a million times and never every night's a little different. You know, it's a new it's new something, you know. Bass player, and he does backup vocals for you also. That's Justin Butcher.
1: Justin Butcher. Awesome. Another yeah. these guys are so underrated because they, they don't, you know, put themselves in the spotlight too often. You know, um they're kinda content to be They
0: really serve good. the song. They serve the song oh. perfectly. That's what they're
1: for there. Oh they, my gosh, yeah. That's what yeah. And,
0: well that's that to me, I think that's like the best, you know. The best musicians do that.
1: Well, that's what my uh, preference is. Yeah, I don't want everybody hot dogging all night long. It's not what I ever wanted. So it's it's really cool. It's not for everybody.
0: Solos and constant solos and constant all that. It's not for everybody. I mean, like,
1: gets old. Yeah,
0: I mean, it can, and 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 and, you know, it can it can it can take away from some of the greater things you do if you're just constantly doing that stuff and constantly trying to be flashy and stuff. Then when you are maybe do a little something flashy once in a while, yeah. that really stands out now. Yeah, it's like, wow, you get people's attention. If you're always oh, doing it. Hopefully, you know? yeah,
1: right. Um, but they were lovely people.
0: They're yeah. Great
1: guys, great friends. It's killer, man. Uh, great uh, professionalism standards of, you know. On time and nothing, you know, getting screwed up and shit. None of that. Just killer they're, band, they're, yeah. Just low key, uh, humble little band. No, no pretensions going on or pretenses. No again, man. There's that word again. But, but really, you guys really pull it off.
0: Every every well, song. Was, I'm telling you, it was great. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I'll go see you guys anytime. Um, and I want to get into the fact that just recently this year, in fact, you were inducted. Into the Cleveland Blues Society oh. Hall of Fame. It's got to be a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big. De- Any Hall of Fame is a big deal, but well, this is true. a pretty big deal. I mean, we just oh, got gosh. done. We just got done saying that Cleveland has a different level of musician than most all the other cities in the United States, and in this city, <laughs> musicians, you're in the Hall of Fame.
1: Now that I don't care what. Well, you're uh, uh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who, if you're not in the blues. Or the blues realm, um, you're not going to know. Well, they did. Deep- I mean, you know, it's like the, it's like you, you're talking about earlier the the scenario of success, and I said it was subjective. It's a sliding thing. It depends. In a certain pond, in the in the local blues pond, it's a it's a wonderful thing, and I'm real proud of it.
0: Yeah, you should thousand. be. That's what I'm saying. You ought to be real proud of it. Baby. Oh, that's, I
1: am. I, I don't know why or why or how. I just I think, you know, it's hard work, man. And it's, no, and it's you know, I think I like, I like to say, uh, that's just, uh, the way I feel is you get older and they want to give you a little tap on the shoulder before you croak.
0: You know, I don't know about that. I, I I go there. I go there to see you last week. And that's really the first time I've really seen you. Like, especially like the way I was, I was right, right in front of you the whole entire time. And. The whole time I'm watching it, and I'm like, there's nothing about anything I saw where I doubted any kind of accolades that you've been given. I mean, everything I watched, and everything I said, I felt like I was in front of like a legend type of a musician who was just doing things that. I mean, you're not a standard guitar player. I don't go to anywhere at any bar at any time and see a guy of your caliber up there doing what you're doing. You just don't. And and it, it was it was it was. You get fooled a of, easily. A lot of fun, man. I had a lot of fun, dude. You're great, man. I You're like a, your humility, but you can't fool me. You're a great guy, you man. And 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 I got to meet you that night, and I found out you were a great guy also. Which is which to me, that's that's great because I had a, I because I knew I was gonna have a podcast with you, and I'm like I hope he's a cool guy, thanks. and thank God you were, man. Thank <laughs> God you were. Honestly, man, I I have a lot of fun. I'm I'm glad I met you. Well, vice versa. Yeah,
1: I'm glad yeah. I got to meet you. You got a really good thing going here. It's very nice, very professionally done. Thank you. I appreciate and, uh, that.
0: Well, I got me and Pat doing it and with, you know, we we, we seem to do well together when we do stuff like this. Yeah,
1: things. everybody has to spread the word. Yeah, level man. Up, level yes. Up
0: Cleveland. Level up Cleveland. We got to get the word but a little more word would be would be helpful. Yeah. A little more word, but I got a feeling this episode do just fine. It'll do just. It'll do really
1: well. <laughs> so you've got the passion for what you do, just like you're talking about yeah. musicians and stuff, and who who uh, who maybe gets a little further ahead than others or takes makes people take note of them. It's that kind of passion. Yeah, that man. Passion for what you do is what, and if you don't lose it, you're in good shape. I hope you've you're right. got it for what you do. So uh, uh, it's beautiful. I appreciate that a lot, man. Seriously, I appreciate that. Coming from you, that means a lot. All right, we're out
0: of time. We're gonna have to have you back down. You're gonna be one of them guys we're gonna have to put on again because you know, there's a couple of you guys we just I felt like when we were done, I was like, Man, I feel like there's like another hour or two to talk about this stuff, but I got we gotta cut it. We gotta cut it at some point. <laughs> some point that's right. Um yeah, so you guys, you know, play out, and you guys are doing, you know, uh, one thing I was talking about, there's a guy named Jim Moses, I think is his name, and he puts out a, a thing every week where it shows all the cover bands where they're going to be playing, west side, east side, south, north, downtown, da, 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 and, and you're always in there if you guys are playing out. Are He's always got you on there, yeah. we're not a cover band. Well, no, but you guys are in there because you play where the cover bands play. So, like, the Union House, they have a lot of cover bands in there, right. so Union House's gigs are in there, so okay. you got put into the Union House. So it's not necessarily just a cover band it's the it's the venues that play most of the cover bands they're already in his thing so all the bands go there but that's where i find out about it okay
1: so yeah i've I've scaled back the uh, amount of gigs that uh, i'm booking i used to fill up the calendar for the sake of filling up the calendar and then the covid break in 2020 i got got some perspective because nobody was playing and you know and i'm starting to get older and uh Physically, uh, the limit, you know.
0: If you're still playing, if you're still out there well, doing it. I mean, but, just not constantly. Uh, oh, constant. no, I'm
1: not saying. It, it's it's more fun now um, without playing all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not just trying to fill out the calendar. but Yeah, we got a base in the background. They're, wow. they're, they're, they're,
0: they're, this is all bands in this building, so this is what it is. All right. So, anyway, it's, it's great fun to be playing, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's going to do it for us, man. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks for coming down again. I appreciate it. Keep your eye open for the Alan Green Band. They're playing at a bar near you sometime soon, I'm sure. And we will see you guys next week. Peace out.
1: This has been Level Up Cleveland. There's a new episode every week. Available now on all streaming services.
0: You can catch every episode of Level Up Cleveland on YouTube. Till next week. Rock on. I'm in a bag. I'm in a bag. I'm in a bag. That'll be fine.